Thank you for joining us today. The following is a message from North Place Church. Our hope is that it will inspire you, uplift you, and bring you closer to Christ. If you would like to visit the video of this message, visit our website at northplacechurch.com watch. Today I, I have a unique challenge as I do every type of patriotic weekend uh, to balance the value, the very important value of celebrating the grace of God upon a country and at the same time honoring and worshiping God, making sure we honor sacrifices that have been made for us and the freedoms that we enjoy here, at the same time helping us balance the reality that patriotism is just that, it is patriotism, it should never become worship. Because the moment the flag and Americana and all that is America becomes something that we idolize and worship, that's what it becomes. It is idolatry. Our citizenship in heaven, our relationship to Jesus should trump anything else in our life, even our citizenship in the U.S. And so I I, uh, balance those things today and I pray the Lord helps me and uses this opportunity to speak something profound into our hearts about freedom. I am deeply grateful today to be a citizen of the United States. I consider my United States citizenship to be one of my most prized earthly possessions. It is a privilege to be an American. And throughout this weekend, there will be festivities that we partake in, that we witness, that are basically a Norman Rockwell painting come to life. Now, if that name doesn't ring a bell, Norman Rockwell is famous for capturing the American culture, what has been called Americana, in his writings, his illustrations, and in his paintings. He is best known as an artist. And some of the best-known images of Rockwell capturing Americana are probably a series of oil paintings that he painted in 1943, and they are basically entitled the series is entitled Four Freedoms. And the first installment in the series was entitled Freedom of Speech. And I think they're going to have these images for you. Some of them will obviously look very familiar. They've been a part of American culture since 1943. The second in the installment from Rockwell was called Freedom of Worship. And then the third in the series was called Freedom from Fear. Obviously, you have these parents tucking in their children at night. And then the last one is called Freedom from Want, a very familiar image that we often see around Thanksgiving and around the holidays. This weekend's festivities, we're going to come back to those images in a moment, but this weekend's festivities across the country are the epitome, the best example of what Americana is. The corn where I live is almost head high. The watermelons are juicy. Flags are waving. Fireworks light up the night sky as they did all over the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex last night. Kids will ride their bikes through our neighborhoods on this extended weekend. Families will picnic together. Churches like ours will gather for worship, honor God, honor country, sing patriotic songs, apple pies, bake in the ovens, and you couldn't have written a script any better. Just a few days ago, an underdog won the College Baseball World Series. These are nostalgic American traditions. And I'll say this, and please understand what I'm trying to say here. I'm not necessarily proud to be an American like the song says. More than proud, I am humbled and grateful to enjoy the freedoms that have come at such a high cost 
for so many men and women in our military. And when you hear the phrase, freedom isn't free, let your heart be reminded of the price that was paid for us to enjoy what we enjoyed. But the freedom's price that was paid wasn't and hasn't just been paid by our recent service men and women. It has been a high cost from the very beginning. 56 brave men signed the Declaration of Independence on July the 4th, 1776. And while we celebrate what those signatures set in motion, I don't think we realize as we celebrate the price that they paid. Five of them were captured and tortured by the British before they died. Twelve had their homes burned and ransacked. They were burned to the ground. Two lost their sons in the war. Nine of the signers of the Declaration of Independence died by fighting in the war from their war wounds or the hardship of war. One of the signers, Carter Braxton of Virginia, was a wealthy planter and trader. He had his entire fleet of ships swept from the sea by the British Navy, so he sold his home to pay off his debts, and he died in rags. Thomas McKean was so hounded by the British that he lived his life on the run. He moved his family over and over and over again. He served in Congress without pay and died a poor man. Thomas Nelson's home was seized by the British at the Battle of Yorktown, and Nelson's home was used as a command post for the British Army. When General George Washington closed in on that command post, he looked at Nelson, and Nelson gave George Washington the permission to fire on his home. The home was destroyed, and Nelson died a bankrupt man. There has always been a price for freedom. And that's what the 4th of July is all about, remembering the price paid and letting the celebration of that memory humble us and fill our hearts with gratitude. So in light of the holiday weekend today, I think it would be important for us to answer the question, what is true freedom? And what is real tyranny? Because that's exactly what those men and women of the American Revolution were fighting for early on. They felt like British rule over the colonies was tyrannical, that, that, that was a, the British king was a tyrant, and they wanted to be free of that tyranny, of that oppression. And so the revolution was started in order to bring this nation freedom. But what is true freedom and what is tyranny? What does it mean to be free from tyranny? In American patriotic sense, most people will celebrate this weekend, they are celebrating the ability to pursue one's determined, self-determined happiness with minimal constraints imposed by others or by the state. Tyranny is an external force that inhibits the pursuit of one's internal desires. Now, I want to camp out on that for a moment because before I move on, this is what most people, when they celebrate patriotic freedom today, that's what they're celebrating. They're celebrating the ability to pursue what you define as happiness without any constraint or anybody telling you what to do. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, with no or minimal constraints imposed on me by other people or by government or the state. So in that definition, tyranny would be any external force that is imposed upon me that doesn't allow me to do what I want to do in my own internal desire. Christian freedom is very different. The concept of Christian freedom in the Bible is very different from the one that would be celebrated around the nation today. According to the scripture, the worst tyranny 
is our own errant, which means um, uh, er, full of error, our own errant and self-determined internal desires. That's what, that's what tyranny is, is when we are left to ourselves as people and our desires and self-determined ways and internal desires are lead us ultimately to destruction. That's the worst tyranny. And the greatest freedom comes when we submit ourselves to an external force, the right force, and that would be God. Now, when you read those two understandings of freedom and tyranny, they are almost exactly the opposite understanding. In the American sense, true freedom comes when you do what you want, when you want, how you want, with anybody telling you what to do in the process. But all of us know there is no liberty without law. Rules are necessary in a free society. A kite cannot fly if it is not attached to the tension of a string. And our rules and our laws create the tension for us to live in the freedom between those boundaries. And while we sometimes disagree on what those laws should be, and while we sometimes find those laws intrusive, the reality is none of us would ever want to live in a place where every person had the, do, had the right to do whatever they wanted to do without any limits whatsoever. It would lead to anarchy in society. So we have agreed upon a set of laws to govern our freedom, and we have chosen to live within that framework, and that agreed upon structure preserves our freedom, and living within that is what makes us free. It's that kind of understanding that is more in line with the biblical definition of freedom and the biblical understanding of freedom. Here's how Jesus defined freedom. John 8, 34, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Anyone who, is, who sins is a slave to sin and is not a, a slave, is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Internal sin is the worst tyrant, but the external son is the most wonderful liberator. If left to ourselves, we destroy our lives, we destroy our relationships, we destroy other people. So our internal sins, our internal desires left unchecked is the worst tyrant, but submitting ourselves to the Son, He is the greatest liberator. True freedom is the kind that Christ has bought for us. It is freedom from the guilt of sin, it is freedom from the rule of sin, but know this, the freedom that Jesus came to give us is not a guarantee of personal independence. As a matter of fact, that freedom that Jesus came to give is only found in total dependence. There are people all over the world living under the oppressive political rule of tyrants and dictators who are actually living freer than many people in America. Now, those people in those other countries may not enjoy the political privileges that Americans enjoy, but because of their relationship with Jesus Christ, those believers in those other countries are walking a freer life than some who have greater political freedom. The freedom that Christ brings is greater than political freedom because it is an eternal freedom. It is a freedom of liberation from sin. Listen to what Paul wrote in Romans 6. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. 
So you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. When you surrender your life to Christ, you are freed from the tyranny of self sin, and Satan. In that moment, you voluntarily, willingly, and intentionally declare Jesus as the king, as the Lord, as the ruler of your heart. And just like that kite that cannot fly unless it is tethered to a string, it is in that moment when you confess Jesus as Lord that you realize that your life's potential will never be fulfilled living by the culture's definition of freedom, but by tethering your life to the rule and the of Christ. It is through that tension, through that submission, through that surrender, that the Spirit's power enables you to live a life that is truly free. True freedom is not found in your personal independence, but in your complete and total dependence upon Christ. Now look back at those two definitions again that are almost exactly the opposite. Here's the one that will be celebrated in the most part this weekend. The culture's definition says that freedom is the ability to pursue one's self-determined happiness with minimal constraints imposed by others or by the state. Tyranny is any external force that inhibits the pursuit of one's internal desires. But according to Scripture, the worst tyranny is our own errant self-determined internal desires. And the greatest freedom comes from submitting to the external force, the right force, God. Now, I want you to listen. In Romans chapter 7, I'm going to read an excerpt from Romans 7, 1. Now, uh, there is Romans 6, Romans 7, Romans 8. Paul's whole conversation is about freedom in Christ. He is talking about what it means to be truly free in Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, and Romans chapter number 8. And I want us to look at Paul's description of what freedom really is from Romans 7, verse 1 through 6. He says, now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law. So it's obvious he's speaking to a Jewish audience here, people who are familiar with the Old Testament law. Okay, so make that, understand that. That's who his audience is. You who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the law of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds, resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and no longer held captive by its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Paul is talking about the difference now, the Old Testament crew who lived under the law, and now the new covenant that was established by the death, burial, and resurrection, the shedding of his blood. And he uses the illustration of marriage and the death of a spouse to illustrate that point. So to make it clear, let's, let's say it this way. Imagine for a moment that Sally married Bill, 
and they were married for many, many years. And one evening, Bill had a heart attack, uh, tragically, and passed away. Several years later, Sally remarried. She married a man named Jack. Bill, the first husband, and Jack, the second husband, were very different men. Bill, the first husband, didn't like to eat breakfast. He would grab a cup of coffee as he ran out the door to work. Jack was different. He liked to start his day with a big country breakfast. Bill, on the other hand, the first guy, uh, first husband, he, he, he didn't care if the house was tidy or not. That was, he didn't even pay any attention to that. But Jack was a guy that liked everything neat and in its place. So after Jack and Sally had been married for a year or so, there was a little tension in the home. He came down the stairs hoping to find things different day to day, but they weren't. The house was still in disarray, and he hoped on occasion he would smell bacon and eggs in the kitchen, and he only found a cold cup of coffee. And as Jack would voice his dissatisfaction, Sally said, well, that's the way I've lived my whole life. That's the way Bill liked things. And Jack said to Sally, Sally, Bill is dead. You're my wife now. You need to stop living like you're still married to Bill. That's what Paul was saying to the Jews in Romans chapter number 7. He was using this analogy of marriage and the death of a spouse. He says, you Jews are still keeping the law and boasting in the law as if you still believe by fulfilling the requirements of the law makes you righteous. Do you know what you're acting like when you think the law is what makes you righteous? That was the rules then, but now the law is dead. You're acting like a woman who was married to a husband, and you've now been joined to another, and while you're joined to another, you're still serving your former spouse. That's what it's like when you're living under grace and still trying to fulfill all of the requirements of the law. So Paul says it in verse number four. So my dear brothers and sisters, since this is the point, you died to the power of the law when you died to Christ. So the law is dead and you have been joined to another when you were joined to grace in Christ. You are free from the law and now under the grace of Christ. In other words, our right standing with God, our true freedom is not found in our doing or our own self-efforts of righteousness. It is found in our being, our submitting to the Lordship of Christ. The law taught the principle you do in order to be. The only way you can become righteous is to fulfill all of the law. And if you were going to be righteous to keep the law and righteous by the law standards, you had to do all of these things. Here's the problem. No one could ever be righteous by keeping the law because nobody could keep that high of a standard. It was an impossible standard, James wrote in James 2.10. For the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. We could never be good enough to be made righteous in the eyes of God. But the blood of Jesus Christ has set us free and did not do away with the standard. The blood of Jesus raised us to the standard. It's not what we do that saves us. It is what Christ has already done that saves us. He has done all that needs to be done to make us righteous before God. So in Romans 7, 6, 7, and 8, Paul is 
shouting a message of true freedom. Freedom that can only come by surrendering our lives to Christ. Freedom is not in politics. Freedom is not in religion. Freedom is in surrender of our lives to Christ. Freedom that can only come by intentionally and willingly bowing our knee to this king. He is not a tyrant. He is not a dictator. He is a gracious Lord and a good, good father. Now imagine it this way. Okay, this is an Olympic year. 2016 Olympics will kick off opening ceremonies in the first week of August. Um, they'll conclude about the third week of August towards the end of the month. And, and imagine this, the, the athletes already gathering in Rio now. They're training and preparing for their, um, their feats and all the things they're going to be a part of. But imagine you're one of those athletes and you're in the middle of August and you're a gymnast and you're about to go on for your last performance and the gold medal is on the line. And based on how you perform in this last performance will determine whether or not you get a medal whether or not you get a gold medal. And then right before you go on, the judges inform you after the tally of the points that you've already won gold, that you already have enough points in your previous performances based on what your competitors have done that you've got enough to already win gold. So how do you think with that news that you're going to go out and perform in that last performance? Are you going to go out and hold back? Are you going to be nervous? Are you going to be inhibited because of what news you just received? No, you'll probably perform the best routine of your life because you will be free to do your routine without pressure to measure up to a nearly impossible standard. They have already told you you won. The score has already been settled in your favor. If you are in Christ, you are free. You have won. The score has already been settled in your favor. The judge has already slipped into the side room and declared you an overcomer. You win. You're free. And you're free to go out and live on that stage as as a, a person who doesn't have the pressure of measuring up to the standards of the law. Because in Christ, the victory is already yours. That's true freedom. And people say to me, well, pastor, if that's the case, then why would anybody ever worry about trying to live a moral and a godly life? Why would we ever try to live up to the standard? Paul said, the message of grace is not a license to go on sinning because to whom much is given, much is required. If holiness was expected under the law and we have been given so much more than the law, then greater is expected out of us than then. We're like the Olympic athlete that has now been free. We can go out and live our life without the pressure of keeping the law, knowing the spirit of Christ lives in us to live in a way that brings honor and glory to God. There is an expectation on our lives, but a different kind with the Spirit's power. We don't have all 613 of these pressures upon us right now, which were the rules in the law. We live our lives to honor Christ because he fulfilled the law. And as we trust in him, our lives fulfill the law as well. If we have bowed our knees to the King of Kings, then it means our citizenship lies in his kingdom. In essence, you and I have Christ followers, we have dual citizenship. And as grateful and as humbled as I am to be a citizen of this country, I am infinitely more humbled and grateful to be a citizen of that heavenly country. Christ said that his kingdom is not of this world. And it may come as news to some Americans celebrating the 4th of July. Jesus is not American, okay? 
He said in 18, John 18, 36, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. He came into this world to call us out of our earthly kingdoms, out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light. Paul wrote in Colossians 1.13, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. In the truest sense, Christians are more than citizens of this world. We are citizens of what the writer of Hebrews calls a better country. The same writer also said that we are foreigners and nomads upon this earth. Hebrews eleven thirteen. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. We're just pilgrims here. So wherever we live on the earth, whether it's the U.S., Africa, Europe, China, India, Iran, Sudan, or South America. If Jesus is the king of our hearts, we now live as expatriates of the kingdom of heaven on earth. An expatriate is someone who lives outside their country of origin. They are an expat or an expatriate. And the day we came to Christ, we started walking in true freedom. We started carrying dual citizenship. Our American citizenship citizenship became temporary and we became a pilgrim here in the U.S. So as we celebrate our independence today as a nation, remember that America is the land of our pilgrimage. America is not the final destination or the ultimate home as a follower of Christ, we are expats here in this country. It reminds me of the old song my grandfather used to sing, and I can sense the tune as I say the words, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through, my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue, the angels beckon me from heaven's open door, I can't feel at home in this world anymore. This is not your final destination, you are a citizen of another country, that's what what it means to be free because that one will last forever. I will always love and celebrate this nation and as much as the American brand has diminished on the world stage in the last 30 years, it's still a place that immigrants are struggling to come to. Many of the people that I talk to when I travel the globe in ministry have made it their life's dream to get to this country and every day people die trying to make it to America. That reality alone should stir humility and gratitude in our hearts for being here today. Whether we immigrated here or we were born here, author John Bloom says something about this devotion to God and country in a way that I never could. sums it up. And so let me just, let me just read this to you. He says, And let us not lose sight of the fact that the American experiment, for all its failings, remains a wonderful thing. It has secured and promoted and defended unprecedented historical freedoms for an unprecedented and diverse amount of people. July 4th is a moment to remember and celebrate the remarkable common grace of God that we and hundreds of millions of others have received through the United States. And our national celebrations have always been tempered with the reality That the U.S. throughout its history has at times legalized terribly destructive immoral things. Such as the enslavement of African peoples, 
the genocide and social alienation of native North American peoples, and the systematic killing of 50 plus million unborn children, just to name a few. It is right to be grieved over legalized sin. But let current events increase our resolve to seek America's greatest good. Being citizens of a better country frees us from trying to make this one the kingdom of heaven. That's a profound statement. Being citizens of a better country frees us from trying to make this one the kingdom of heaven. Our time here is short. And here, as Hebrews 13, 14 says, we have no lasting city. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, so let us give ourselves to bringing as many Americans to the better, lasting country as possible. And I say yes and amen to that. True freedom is not some self-determined happiness free from the rule and control of another. True freedom is found in surrender to the right kind of rule and control and dominion and authority. Our real freedom is found in submitting our lives to the power of God and enabled to live free through the power of His Spirit. His rule, His reign will free us from our own errant self-destructive independence because our own internal desires are the worst tyrants, but our our real freedom is found in submitting ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to go back in closing to those pictures I showed you a moment. I I didn't intend to do this. Um, They were originally just going to be images of Americana, but as I started looking through those Rockwell paintings, There were some things that stood out to me that reminded me again of how fragile the American experiment really is. We are 240 years old tomorrow as a nation, which by nation standards, we are still babies. By most nation standards, we are very young at 240 years old. I look at those paintings, there were some things that stood out to me. One One of those things is that this was painted in 1943, every face in those paintings is a picture of white culture. Now, I realize that Rockwell was uh, painting in an era where that was the dominant culture, but the reality is this nation has always been a nation of immigrants, and I looked at that picture of what was supposed to be Americana, and I asked myself, where's the diversity that's not there in those pictures because we've always been a nation of immigrants? Then I looked at those, those fears, the, the, the freedoms. One is a freedom from fear. And I, I asked myself the question as I looked at that is, is that, is that an illusion? Because I know when he painted those pictures, we were just in the middle and just completing some of the world wars when Americans were living in great fear. That, that's a celebration of our sense of national security. I don't know what era you grew up in, but I grew up in a Cold War era and I lived a majority of my life with a fear of nuclear war that somebody was going to push the red button and the war was going to happen between the USSR and the United States of America. That was a real fear of mine in the third and fourth grade. And I would say today our sense of national security and the fear because of lone wolves and terror and all those things is probably at a higher sense than it's ever been. So when I looked at that picture, I asked myself the question, I know what he's trying to communicate. There is a great sense of national security, but that security seems more fragile today than it ever has before. And then I I looked at the last one, the freedom from want, 
which is obviously a celebration of prosperity, and all of us would concur that we are one of the most prosperous nations, if not the most prosperous nation on the earth. But it ignores a reality that exists, that there are people that go to bed hungry every night in this country, that prosperity is something that some enjoy, but there's a great number who don't. And so while I look at those, I see them, they are a picture of Americana, but there were some things that just, just didn't settle with me, and I, they, they, they bothered me a little bit. Not because those images were wrong, they came from an error, but it reminded me that as good of an experiment as the American governance has been, it is a human experiment, which means it is fragile and it is not guaranteed to last forever. So we need to value it, we need to protect it, we need to fight for it, freedom and democracy and who we are as a nation. But in the back of our minds, we also need to understand that we better be building our life on something that is guaranteed to last forever. And the only thing that we have in this world that is promised to last forever is the citizenship that we have in a better country by bowing our knee to a king who is the ruler and dominion of an eternal kingdom who has transferred us out of the kingdoms of this world into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that you have that is guaranteed to last forever. And that is where true freedom is found. I want you to stand with me all over this place, if you will, today, and I'm going to ask Pastor Bear if he would to come and help me. We sang a song a moment ago in worship, and I want us to sing that again here as creating an atmosphere for prayer. In a moment, we're going to have the prayer team to come and respond, and when they do, I, I want us today to join together with anybody in this room that has a need for freedom in some area of your life. I believe freedom reigns in this place today because Jesus reigns in this place today. And if you don't know that freedom, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or maybe you have professed the name, but there are things in your life you're not walking in the freedom that was promised. There's still the tyranny of self and sin and Satan that seems to be controlling areas of your life. Give us the privilege today to talk with you, pray with you about what it means to bow a knee to Christ, what it means to surrender your life to Christ, what it means to know what true freedom is. There are some of us that have been serving Jesus for years, and yet there are those moments as followers of Jesus that self raises its ugly head, and sin raises its ugly head, and there are issues that develop in relationships, and there are issues that develop in finances in different part of our lives, and we need to know that the king reigns in this place. He reigns in your physical body. He reigns in the area of your business. If he's lord of your life and lord of your business, he reigns in your marriage. He reigns in your family. And I believe it would be fitting on Independence Weekend for us to celebrate the eternal independence that we have while we stop and honor and pause the freedoms that we have patriotically, I think it would be honor God today to give him a chance to bring lasting and eternal freedom in our lives. So we're going to sing through this a couple times and create an atmosphere for prayer before I come and dismiss you today. We're going to call the prayer team forward and we're going to pray for freedom in this room today. In whatever area of your life that you need the freedom of God to rule and reign. Come on, sing it. You know it. We've sung it before.
sing if you're tired and you're thirsty. If you're tired and you are thirsty, here we are. There is freedom. I believe it's here this morning. team, would you come and make yourself available today? Father, I ask you, Lord Jesus, that you bless them and keep them, that you make your face shine down upon them, that you be gracious to them, that you turn your countenance their direction. And Father, when you look our way today, when you turn your favor, your face, your countenance, our direction today, May we find what is promised to us. There are so many of us like the Jews Paul was writing to in Romans 7 who have professed the name. We have called upon Jesus as Savior. But we're still living as if our hearts were joined to our old life, the old way. And yet we have been joined to another. And Paul would say to us like he said to them, You're dead to that. You're dead to sin. You're dead to the law. It's time to come alive in Christ. It's time to live free the way Christ has provided for you to live. I pray today, Lord, whether there's somebody in this room today who's never bowed a knee, never confessed you as Lord, that they would begin that journey. They would find that freedom. And if there are areas of our life that are in bondage today, If we're battling some area of our life that believers would find freedom that is theirs in Christ Jesus because you reign in their life, you reign in their family, you reign in their business, you reign in their place, there is freedom. So Lord, would you turn your countenance our direction today and give us peace. Let us find real freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. These altars are open. We're here to serve you today and pray with you. Our environment will remain worshipful this morning. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from North Place Church. Feel free to share it with your friends. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at North Place and on Facebook at facebook.com slash North Place Church. To watch the video of this message, go to northplacechurch.com slash watch. 